monsters, madness, and magic. It's MonstersMadnessAndMagic.com, and ladies and gentlemen, I have with me Mr. Jeff Barnaby, director, and I tell you what, what else did you do in this movie? Because <laughs> you didn't just direct, you had to do a whole lot of other stuff with it, correct? Yeah, I was the uh, writer, director, editor, composer, de facto producer. See, that it's much better coming from right directly from the source because I just be like, he's a director. And that's what everybody was, oh, okay, well, so he just directed. Well, anytime you do some kind of project like this, you do a whole lot more. Jeff Barnaby, thanks for joining. Of course, I am Dan. My friends call me Daniel. Dan, you, hey, you, whatever. It doesn't matter. So anyway, it's a pleasure to meet you, man. I was able Where to- Dan, it looks like you're in a closet somewhere. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a closet. It's a running. It's bigger on the inside. No, <laughs> no, it uh, it is the most acoustically treated room in my house. Okay, because my house is nothing but hardwood floors and blank panel walls, and it's nothing but a gigantic reverb plate. So uh, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> sitting in here is this is my vocal booth and everything else. So yeah. <laughs> Where are you? Do what? Where are you? Where are you based out uh, of? South Carolina. Uh, oh, so like the uh, really have to turn off the fans and the AC while you're doing that there. Yeah, that's why another reason why I'm in the closet dampening all the sound because I have four oscillating fans and uh, HVAC and two window units going as as we speak. <laughs> it yeah, is. I remember, I remember kind of doing that recording the soundtrack in the summer, and we get up we we get up to 100 degrees here in Montreal too with the humidity and oh, just man. being like rivulating drops mm -hmm. of sweat everywhere. <laughs> yep, that's it. I uh, I have I tell you I am terribly envious of your buzz cut, quite honestly. I have been toying with that for months now. Just <laughs> just doing it. Just do it. I'm sick of it cuz yeah, like today, 94 degrees and the humidity, it just basically after the heat index and the humidity felt like it was 105, 106. Yeah, it's disgusting. It, <laughs> yeah, it's just breathing a bucket of bug soup. <laughs> it sucks. That's <laughs> Yeah, it, it's horrible. Well, look, man, thank you for letting me get a hold of a copy of Blood Quantum for the screener. I don't know if it's you directly to thank, but indirectly, I'd have to thank. And uh, I managed to check it out, and it was incredible, because, especially nowadays with my schedule. It's tough to actually sit down to watch anything. Yeah. And then it's like, it's basically Russian roulette. Like, seriously, I'm, I have about as many odds as getting a good film as it is Russian. I got a one in six chance of actually catching a good, I don't mean that. Actually, I kind of do. It's just a crap shoot. Blood I'm quantum. I've been on uh, juries for film festivals and actually turned one down. And <laughs> because you never know, you get 20 films and like you know chances are at least half of them are not going to be any good and you just you know there's 20 hours of your life for right it, it's serious i don't used to i would be afraid to say it and, and i'm glad i can say it audibly so people can under, can hear the inflection in my voice it's like i in no way am i being a snob about it it's look my time is valuable i got especially with halloween coming up i have way too much going on and I just, there is no greater thief than a bad book. That's what Ben Franklin said. And so, you know, lesser degrees of that is a bad movie or a bad film or a yeah. same thing, or like a bad video game, which in, in some ways could be even worse. It just, I had time for it. And it, you know, I have to set the, the criteria of, I like my films, they, they've got to be horror, sci-fi, or, you know, film noir, two-fisted gunplay, like Chow Yun-Fat, I'll make an example. All the way. You can, <laughs> you can always make more. You can always make more money. You can never make more time. That's that's correct. So, Blood Quantum was a delight. Thank you, at, dude. 
All right, I'm not even sure. You know what? We'll get into this. And for people that don't know, because Blood Quantum has actually been making waves, this, and we can even still see the ripples now every now and then. I'll see it float around on social media and stuff. So to the, the long and short of this, people, you're in here for the long haul, those listening at home, playing along with, home, with the home game. But if you have not seen this, you really need to see this. I will open this before we delve into the backstory of this just by saying, look, Good zombie movies are few and far between. I mean, you could really, without the snob coming at him, you could actually count them on one hand, like the ones that are actually absolutely the cream of the crop. So a good zombie film to come along is very rare. Blood Quantum is one of those that you need to watch because it is one of the good ones. So having said that, dude, what inspired you to do Blood Quantum? Well, I'm a zombie fan. I mean, really, that's all it boils down to. I'm a huge genre fan, like Evil Dead, Night of the Living Dead, Return of the Living Dead, all the deads. I, I just wanted to put my stamp on that genre. You're a filmmaker. Of course, you're going to want to do a zombie movie. You're going to want to do it in a way that catapults it into a, above the rest of the, the stuff out there. Because you, you're right. Like, there's so many zombie movies. I always kind of liken it to pornography, right? It's like you're always going to have an audience, but not every porno is going to be great. that's kind of where i came from that's exactly what we thought about right when we wanted to like we started talking about doing it it was like well everybody's doing zombie movies my management team is uh, circle of confusion and those are the guys behind the walking dead franchise and all the spin-offs so <laughs> like believe me the zombies played out <laughs> needed to figure out a way to infuse new life into it and while we were sitting down talking about it just kind of uh lightning strike where i was like what if we make the natives immune to the zombie plague and once i said that it became really obvious that it was a movie about colonialism because you always from a native perspective you're always trying to tell that story again but mm -hmm. in a way that isn't preachy or, or or too watered down or and thank you, know, you for that by the way yeah i mean it gets played out after a while and i wanted to retell that story but not in an obvious way mm -hmm. and once we made that initial conceit, it was like we could focus on just making kind of killer zombie film because we felt like the, the idea behind it was going to carry the symbiotics of the film. Right. And do it in a way where it didn't get too watered down, you know, too preachy. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, all right, we need to make a hardcore zombie film with like some pretty explicit kills, cool kills, things like that. And we just, like, I, I tackled the writing with, keeping the themes in mind but i tackled the filmmaking just wanting to make a killer zombie movie make it atmospheric almost uh, medieval in a way when you look at mm -hmm. the second half the the second and third acts we were like let's let's make a kind of siege medieval movie so you look at the film and the latter half is almost all lit by flames mm -hmm. and the real atmosphere and aesthetic comes from that approach i appreciate the approach of that uh I could go ahead and hit the tail end because I got a whole lot of pointers I wanted to bring up that you hit in that I wanted to delve into. But yet when you just the, <coughs> excuse me, the way to approach it like that, just that whole, it did feel in a way, it's almost like the place was an island. I'm guessing, oh, that's stupid because it was. But no, seriously, I love the way that the film, so many things had already happened during the film and yet your main arc was almost timeless. It was tough to see like a passage of time in the film, but 
the way the beginning starts and you have the collapse of society and then you went to that whole almost Mad Maxi type feel lit by fire and stuff like that. It's just, it's interesting in that there is no passage of time and it feels separate and it's not in a bad way. I just, I appreciate the momentum of the film Taylor, because then when something does actually happen and believe me kids, it's a zombie flick, things actually happen. When the things happen, it hits you suddenly and there's a, it's compelling because you know you felt safe every time it was just like the area you know you got a safe area oh no you don't what's going to happen next i just i love the way that it led into that i also appreciate the fact that it wasn't preachy that is so nice (laughs) to get a movie like that well there's a lot of stuff there that if you knew the background of the film and my background in particular you would see the explicit references like the bridge the blockade on the bridge the dead fish coming back to life, like all that stuff is really regional specific and dealing with the history of Canada and it's it's uh, the way it has traditionally dealt with native people, which is through violence and oppression. And there's specific films that have actually been made about my reserve called Incident at Restigush, another reserve that my family lives on here called Gunawagi, where the uh, Quebec government, again, you know, violence and oppression. So those are there for right. people that are in the know, but at the same time, the blockade on the bridge is a snowblower with <laughs> a bunch of zombies walking into it. So you don't necessarily need to know that history to appreciate that aspect of it. And that was really the model for the entire film where it was like, we're going to put these elements in there, but we're not going to draw attention to them. And if you get it, you get it. And if you don't, you don't. And we still really, really the focus was really just to make a, a, a film of, that can be appreciated by genre fans. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you were there for the, the, the social protest aspect of it, you would understand it too. But I think when you're a filmmaker, you need to understand a medium, right? Like nobody's going to hand you seven figures to go out there and, you know, scribble a, a, a poem to your ex-girlfriend or something like that. <laughs> there, needs to be, there needs to be returns on the investment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I inherently understood that. And I, I really appreciate the challenge of having to do that. Right, because right. in a way it is like kind of poetry in the sense that you need to codify what you're trying to say and, a more simplistic, digestible piece of art. And that's kind of what we wanted to do. And it's weird to kind of explain, you know, a zombie film with the viscera that we have in it as a piece of art. But that is another thing that we were trying to do. It wasn't going to be like handheld. It wasn't going to be like, you know, we were still going to put together a film with some of the best artists in the province in Quebec. And, you know, it may be a controversial statement, but I personally think we have the best filmmakers in the country I mean, this is where, you know, Den- Denise Villeneuve was from, and there's a, a an aesthetic to the type of films that we do, Right. and I didn't want to deviate from that either. Mm-hmm. So it was like, it was ambitious, but at the same time, we had been doing it before. It's the same crew that we had been working with for all my films, like for the past 15, 20 years. So we all knew each other's quirks and what we were capable of, and when we saw it on screen, or what we saw it on paper, we knew we'd be able to put on screen and we knew our limitations. So it was it was like, you know, it was a hard film to make, hardest film I've ever had to make. I bet. But it was still, we never really lost sight of any of those goals and it didn't really get that muddled. There was some stuff that we had to sacrifice. Like you mentioned, the uh, you don't really see the time passage. Initially, what we had planned for that was there was no like title card. It was supposed to be the scene where you see the Charlie, mm-hmm. uh, at this point showing like you know she's six seven eight months along right and you show up you, you were 
you were given privy to see how she was sneaking people into the reserve. That was mm -hmm. that scene that was supposed to be the transition scene. Right. So it was stuff like that you end up having to lose because of budget. But we felt like it didn't really deviate too hard from what we were trying to accomplish. So, right. oh you know, no, it did it well. Oh, thank you. I mean, no, the simple fact, like it's just. Yeah, like you said, there's no card. You didn't flash up, you know, six months later. It was there, nothing like there, that. There's a card there that says that. <laughs> it was there? Maybe I even miss it. What I appreciated was how you, you started out in your normal, just showing like normal life. It almost, it really felt, it has nothing to do with it, but just the climate it was gorgeous. I could feel it because it's hot as hell where I'm at. So just it look gorgeous and it looked like it would feel like twin peaks <laughs> it's cool <laughs> yeah. breezy and it's just a relaxed casual day and then things just start to escalate and escalate building further so there to me even if there was no like if they showed like a time passage card or anything even if i had missed that i was able to follow it with even while this was happening you see societal collapse and then you have a fort you can't build that overnight so I get an idea. It's like, wow, they've been here for a little bit. You know, it's little, little things like that. I just, I appreciate the subtlety of it <laughs> a lot of times, depending on the film too, because the, the pacing of it was great. I, I, since I'm here at this point, I did want to comment on that, how much I did appreciate that. It just, it's not a lot of zombie movies, you know, you got to do the buildup and it's got to deal with all this exposition. But I mean, uh, truth be told, I don't care. Because the exposition is going to be boring or people that I don't care about in situations I care even less about and stuff. Credit to your writing is that it actually, I was kind of in it. I was like, okay, this is pretty cool. I see what's happening. Even if I'm not, it's, you know, wham, bam, we're on to the next thing. I just appreciated how it kind of set everything up to the next sequence and it kept moving along further. I feel but, like you don't really need to explain the beats of a zombie film at this point either. I think that's <laughs> one, of the, one of the advantages of doing a genre film like that. There's, you're lucky to just drop your audience into, you know, what's going on. Mm -hmm. And I think it's just a matter of the execution at that point. It's like, uh, you know, the zombie apocalypse has happened. It's just, you know, how it happened and how it plays out in this particular community. I mean, really, that's what you're exploring. You don't really need to know the reasons why. I mean, you don't really, you know, you don't really need to spend too much time dabbling in what's going on. What always bothered me, too, was, you know, you need to stop and explain the zombie rules to a certain extent. And I, I really felt like I didn't really want to do that. I, I And this kind of comes part and parcel of being a native filmmaker, too, where I feel like to a large extent, you always got to hold the hand of the audience through a native film and you need to, you need to kind of have almost a guide in there. Uh, you know, Jake Sully and Avatar, you know, uh, I keep picking on Kevin Costner and Dances with Wolves. <laughs> so I didn't want to do that. It's almost like you want to make the audience uncomfortable. And at this point, you're either winning it, you're either going to be in it or not, because like the characters aren't going to be the same characters that you typically see in a zombie film. So you're either there for it or you aren't. Why try to win that part of the audience over? Because if they don't want to be there, they're not going to want to be there. I just felt like you could just start playing with the genre tropes from that point on. You know you're in a zombie movie, so what's the first thing that you need to see? You need to see something come back from the dead. So instead of it being a person, why not an animal? And the weird thing about that particular part of the community, too, is that when we did have that you know, raid on our reserve by the Quebec government, the thing that they were coming to take were fish because they said we were fishing too much on our river and we were pulling out too much for the 
the ecology to survive. So it was the idea that they weaponized our food source. And this is kind of what I mean when I say, like, if you know, then you know. But if you don't, it's still kind of dead fish coming back to life, which is not something you typically see in a zombie film. Animals come back to life. I think the only exception to that is probably like a girl from, what the hell is the name of that movie? Resident Evil. Thank you. Resident Evil where the crows come back and they're like they're spreading the disease. I always thought that was pretty cool. And you see it in a lot of literature too, where animals come back to life, but never really in films. That's right. It's, that was a, I was going to comment on the how unique that was. And then I love the fact that you didn't state what the virus was. And as you mentioned, you didn't lay out the rules. I don't want. I don't care. I'll figure them out. As the, if your movie's good, I don't need to know the rules. You're going to show me the rules. The fact that you showed the the animals coming to life, I was like, oh shit, that's one of these movies. Because I think it was a uh, Brian Keane with his Dead Rising series, I think it was him. His did the same thing. It was people, animals, everything coming back. And it's like, oh shit, everything's dead now. But, yeah, and then coming back. So I appreciate you. I, did, I didn't need to know. I don't need to know the rules. You showed me the rules. And then the fact that, it, you know, it's called Blood Quantum <laughs> with a really awesome angle. It's just one of those, you know, what if, take it from your perspective, the natives are actually immune to it. And it's like immune yeah, to what? really kind of advantageous too when you have native people in the zombie film you don't need to tell them it's a virus everybody kind of just assumed it was nobody really mentioned at any one point that it was a virus right. but i think when you talk about the history of native people in the americas you talk about the the smallpox virus you talk about measles you talk about that aspect wiping out huge swaths of the population so you take advantage of that as a writer and you don't really have to explain to the audience why they're immune because you already have that history there. If they can be susceptible and the colonizers be immune, why can't that be, you know, completely flipped on its ass? And that really became the staple of the entire film, right? Everything became ironic. Everything like the the Indian carrying the, you know, the six shooter, like mm -hmm. ironic. I mean, all this stuff became the jumping off point for mm -hmm subverting the tropes of the genre and, and and kind of exploring the social political issues behind the ideas it, it was cool that like you, you flipped it on its head because you have like you said you're a zombie film so you're playing to the zombie tropes so you're yeah. you know you're gonna have oh god whatever his name was from night of living dead uh tony todd's character you're gonna have a guy like that you're gonna have barbara and then you can flip that on its head if you want, but you've always got to have Barbara. Well, then you've always got to have a Cooper. And it's just cool how you flip because there is always, it just, it's people. It's inherent. I don't care how nice you are. I don't care where you are when you get so much stress on people and you throw them into a contained environment with a constant level of stress. Any little thing is going to come up and you are just, it, people are people. They will gravitate towards their own clans, their own cliques, like they're just they're gonna go to that it's the same it's the same way but whenever you flip it on a script and you got the one guy that's like why are we even dealing with the white people let's just kick them out and i'm still like oh shit <laughs> it's one of these <laughs> <laughs> well it's it's uh it was a way to explore xenophobia mm. but the crazy thing about it is that you're not only commenting on the situation in the film, but if you look at the history of the native person in America and dealing with immigration, mm -hmm. I mean, you're kind of, he was right. He was right to be that way. And, mm -hmm. the, you know, the film manifests that and history has manifested it. So it's like, do you really call him a villain? Is he the Cooper character? 
and it's fun to well fun but it's it's complicated and it's complex right. it's like it the idea of this film has always been to kind of uh give jumping off points to the audience to discuss more headier headier issues particularly in the time that we live in where everything is is you know the, the tension based around racial relations and tension based around just the class system that we live in and it becomes a, a contemplation on immigration. I mean, it, it, it really, for a zombie film, it's it's a lot more cerebral than what you would expect where, you know, you have characters getting their heads chopped off or characters getting their penises bit off or whatever the case may be. <laughs> you don't expect to have that kind of, you know, layers there. Right. But again, you know, those things are always meant to be entertainment it's always meant to be entertainment first, and if those if those issues were there for you as an audience member, you could explore them. Right. Was was just trying to walk this fine line of keeping your audience and not alienating anybody, because again, you're still trying to make a commercial film. Right. And at the end of the day, as a filmmaker, you want to get your film made or, or seen by as many people as possible. Right, and not insulting your audience, which this film never did. Like every well, little really new genre, guys, I find because like they're. I think that's it. When you're a genre fan, you're a sci-fi fan. You're expecting to have that aspect to right. to the film, and this isn't like I'm not. I didn't reinvent the zombie movie. It's always been a form of social protest mm. or or critique. Well, Romero's original trilogy was anyway. Right. It kind of deviated from that a little bit until they brought it back with 28 Days Later. But the soul of the zombie film has always mm. been a, a metaphor for whatever's going on in the culture right now. So right. I didn't really reinvent it in the sense that, you know, I was going to try to change any of that. I was just going to lean back into it. And it just, yeah. you know, the, the, the nexus of the, the plague that we're you know, currently facing and the plague in the film just just met perfectly at the <laughs> time. and we were all lamenting that it wasn't going to play in theaters and for me it was particularly poignant because there's people from my community that came up to montreal to see it and they were posing in front of the big you know the big uh multiplex things oh, man. Yeah. they never got to see it because like right after like two days oh. later right before it shut down and oh, it ended up being this great blessing in disguise because it took all the way the plague, the way the coronavirus brought everything into relief in our culture, mm. it actually did the same thing in the film where you realize what you're watching isn't just a zombie film. So that really, it's weird to say, it really was a blessing in disguise. I mean, it probably cost us a shit ton of money, but <laughs> I, it really, really elevated the, you know, like the, you look at the Rotten Tomatoes rating at 90%. I don't think that would have happened if it was just playing in a regular, you know, multiplex or whatever, I don't Possibly. think we would have gotten it on the same level as they did, you know, if we weren't currently all under, you know, lock and key. Right. And it's good that it resonates with people on many different levels, obviously. I mean, but like you say, it's a genre any, film. Really? Yeah. Any, any zombie film, I mean, it, a good guy, a superhero is only as good as his villain. He-Man is only awesome because Skeletor is so freaking cool. So a zombie movie is only as good as the gore gags. Dude, who did your special effects, man? The gore in this movie is exquisite. Um, you ever see The Lodge? Actually, not The Lodge, but uh, The Lodge. We had the same production designer's Lodge. But uh, the guy that we typically do uh, effects with, uh, Eric Gosling, we've been working with him. I've been working with him since 2004, I think. So I'm I trying mean, to think of uh, I'm trying to think of something he did. 
but the Blood Brothers did um did a uh, Turbo Kid. So I don't oh, know if you Turbo Kid. Yeah. So they're pretty well versed in like the hyperbolic gushes of blood, and they. That, yeah, that was so great. <laughs> and everything was supplemented. Like we we leaned really hard on mechanical effects and practical effects. That's what we wanted to do, and we were going to see later if any of that needed enhancement and lean into the CGI if we needed to. Mm-hmm. I feel like once you start kind of amalgamating the two, I mean, that's really where you pull off your gags when right. you can't tell what is what. You ever hear this story about the, the 2011 remake or prequel to the thing and how the filmmakers have done all these practical mechanical effects? And then, I read. I read something yeah, about that. And then the studio came in and covered everything up with CGI and it all looks like terrible now. <laughs> and I think... You know, as far as, as CGI has come, well, you say that, but now I find a lot of this, it almost seems to have uh, stalled. Like, mm-hmm. you know, look at something like, uh, if you look at something like uh, Lord of the Rings, I mean, that, you know, top state-of-the-art CGI right. that looks better than some of the stuff that comes out now that, frankly, looks like a fucking screensaver. So <laughs> I think there's an argument to be made for practical effects because for me, as a filmmaker looking at it, They've never really managed to get rid of that, like, that weird sheen you get on CGI characters. Like, it looks weird, and Mm -hmm. it feels weird, and it doesn't feel fleshy. And there's something about, like, if you've ever seen real violence, and if you ever walked into a a special effects place, they always have these gore books of, like, trauma, real trauma. And it never looks real. It always looks awkward and and really, like, fake almost. Mm -hmm. And there's something about CGI that takes that out of there, the awkward weirdness of it and we right. wanted to keep that in like like oh that looks fake and it's like yeah it kind of does look fake when you see a body dismantled <laughs> it doesn't look real because your brain doesn't you know it doesn't want to compute that right that's how it you know like that's not how a human body should look mm-hmm. so we wanted to keep that 80s awkwardness to it and the keep the gags as practical as possible and uh you know supplement with cgi here and there where we could and we were lucky for the most part. I think it worked. Yes. I had a completely, you know, I had a completely different idea of how the bridge scene was going to work, which was going to be our, like a big gore scene. Uh-huh. But that was really the only thing that I really felt like, you know, could have used a little bit more, a little bit more oomph. But everything else, I felt like the, the the singular kills were pretty, you know, they were fun to watch, and that's kind of what you want to get with the the zombie film. Honestly, all of it was. I mean, the gags. There were gags in this film that I've never seen before. And that's, yeah, that's I'm, another thing, kind of like a comic book or like yeah. your bridge scene. I've never seen anything like that. Oh, God. And there was one, the uh, and I'm, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody that hasn't seen it, but there's a, let's see if I could pantomime it for you on the, the camera. There's the zombie here and he's this way. And then he just kind of like that when he's, it was the, uh, he stretched. And uh, that was, that was cool. I've never seen that. And it just, whenever I'd noticed that, and I saw that gag and I'm like, man, the gore in this thing is fantastic. It just, I love the blood. It was obviously, it wasn't as bright red as a Jolly or like your Argento or Dawn of the Dead, but yeah. it still felt, it still felt like it. The gore was great. It, like I said, a zombie film is only as good as the gore gags. And so it, it was wonderful. Well, the kills that, were 
were bollocks. They were like over the top. They were all over the top. Some of them were kind of mean spirited. <laughs> so it was it was kind of the stuff that you look for in a in a good zombie film, right? You know, or or just something that you know you kind of want to tell the audience too. Well, we're not taking ourselves that seriously here. So you know, feel free to have fun or laugh at any of this. Right. However, I do. I like it, for lack of a better term, I like the grim dark nature of this film in that. Yeah. It's rare to see a film. Now, I appreciate when films, because there's just different cultures, American films, it's nothing against them. It's just we have a, a certain way of telling a story. And subconsciously, we will go into that method of storytelling. In other words, I can look at a character in a film, and I know who's going to live. I know who's going to die. And yeah. it is what it is. However, when you get another culture that makes a film, for <laughs> my best example for this is either watch a UK film or watch a film from Japan. Nobody is safe in those. They, anybody yeah. could die at any given moment. So, yeah, I mean, if you like these characters, well, you better enjoy them because they might be dead. I appreciate that in your film. And again, yeah, I'm we, not deliberately, we deliberately went after that heroic arc. <laughs> I, well, see, however, I don't know who, yeah, the, your heroic arc is good. But again, I don't know who's going to live and who's going to die because there's a whole lot of things that would be like, well, what? Whoa, okay. And just, I, I really like that. It, again, it makes the film interesting because if I can predict it, it, it better be a really good story because I already know what's going to happen. So once again, the movie just kind of kept me guessing. That and your cast. Every, all the cast members in the film, which I recognize Gary Farmer, but all yeah. of the other cast members in the film, I mean, everybody just played their part well. I, the people I wasn't supposed to like, I didn't like. The ones that I was, that I was supposed to like, I like. The ones that I maybe wasn't supposed to like, but I kind of do like, I mean, it just, everybody was, everybody played their part very well. It, how, how much fun was it on the set? <laughs> Did everybody enjoy it? Well, I don't know how the actors felt, but I was like stressed out beyond like, comprehension every day. It's weird because <laughs> when we first started, uh, we first started filming, my, my limp, my limp nodes blew up. Out of oh stress. no. <laughs> yeah. So my neck disappeared and I'm like walking around with just like a thumb for a face. And <laughs> I know, like, you, I don't know how much you could see it on screen, but we shot in, like, April and uh, October, so it was cold. It was really cold and wet here, and you see it in the, uh, like, the, the scenes in the compound. Like, everything's muddy and wet. Like, we didn't spray anything down. It was just like that. It was still snowing that day, mm. and I, I'm assuming these guys had a hard time because at no one point was it ever comfortable, particularly Michael because he's the one that's getting doused with blood the most. <laughs> and, uh, yeah think, that, i'm sorry go ahead well i was gonna say i think uh for me the person that had the most fun was probably stonehorse the the grandpa <laughs> never done anything like this before and for him like everything was a novelty like he's oh my god or, like this is so cool and he was like his energy level is through the roof for like a guy <laughs> for an elder man and he has this great background, right? Because he's an MMA guy. He was John Jones's uh, boxing trainer for the longest time. So he's like a serious Muay Thai guy. And uh, he's an actual vet. He's a Vietnam vet. And uh, like, he's the real deal. He wasn't, he wasn't really asked to do anything other than show up and play himself. And he <laughs> took it seriously. Like he took the acting seriously. He took the action seriously. And, you know, with his background, the physicality of his background, he really got into the idea of being like a, like a, a samurai guy. And he spent most of his time in, in 
he spent a lot of time in Thailand, so he was kind of close to the, the, the Asian Eastern culture there. And he took it spiritually seriously too. Mm-hmm. So he was our he was our joker, right? He was the wild card. We didn't know what we were gonna get with him. He wasn't experienced. His tape was like comically bad. And <laughs> it was like we needed to coach him on how to do a, like an audition tape. So he was by far the the biggest surprise, the most pleasant one to work with. Everybody was great. And but to a certain extent, you never know what you're going to get with actors because some right. people were, you know, used to certain things. Like Michael just came off the True Detective set, mm-hmm. where they probably had the same budget per episode that we did for the whole film, if not more. So I'm sure that he was used to things being a little bit differently, opposed to like here, you don't get a trailer, but get this lawn chair to sleep in. <laughs> so everybody, especially Michael, like I said, was really. You know, I think there was one time he got on his nerves a little bit and it was on a bridge scene where all the blood had to go into his face and oh, yeah. we were on that bridge in the spring. So everything like froze instantaneously mm. and it did the same thing on him. Like he was, we have a picture of him somewhere where he's just like looking at the camera like, oh, I don't know what the paycheck is, but it's not enough. <laughs> so I think for the amount of, crap that we put our cast through they they were great they were fantastic everybody was awesome and it was uh, a low budget film so nobody really got to rehearse and they were just jumping in there doing the lines like the day we started filming El Maya's and Michael's scenes I think that was literally the first time they met and it was like you know doing the scenes right after mm-hmm. so we were lucky that everything managed to work out and that all these pieces all these moving pieces nothing really ever fell apart even there was a day, actually, there was a day where El Maya, uh, the whole set got hit with food poisoning. Ooh. So, like, whoever had to fish, they were out of commission. And El Maya uh, ended up having to spend the morning in the emergency room. Oh, and, no. Like, we were holding the whole set there for, like, eight <laughs> hours before she kind of stumbled on, stumbled on finally, and she was all gray and that was the day that we were shooting on the water. So she was nauseous already. And she's like floating around in the boat. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. All right. Keep that face. That's right. <laughs> so it's like, look like you survived an apocalypse. And she's <laughs> You've done it, man. You nailed it. So that was, we had a couple of bad days, but you know, by and large, it was like, everybody, everybody was awesome. That's the inspiration. I wanted to, I, I want to hit on that. I know we're running low on time, but I do want to get into the fact this is an indie film. Now it's low budget, but by God, it does not feel like that. I mean, it, this really, it genuinely, there's something about it. I can tell it's indie, but again, it really did not feel low budget at all. I mean, is this, was it just you? You just woke up and said, I'm going to make a movie. And you went and got your camera and just made it just like that. <laughs> No, not at all. <laughs> we've, been, uh, we've been, like I said, we've been working together with the same people now for quite a long time. Mm-hmm. We know how to stretch a dollar. Like uh, I play all these different roles in the film. My DOP is also the cameraman. And, you know, we, we kind of minimize our, our, our economic impact by doubling up on roles so that we could put it on screen. Right. And I feel what you're talking about. I feel what you mean. And you know what you miss in that? You miss, you miss the panoramics. You miss those widescreen shots. And that's what makes it feel kind of epic. So mm-hmm. we did a lot of that. And we hired, yeah. uh, just by hiring a guy to do the drone shots. And that, those drone shots saved our life, man. Like that film would not exist in this 
same sphere of, of aesthetic or production values if it wasn't for that drone operator. So right. he shaped a lot of the film and added a lot of that, that uh, production value to it. And really the area that we shot in, in Lestigush, where we did a lot of our exteriors, it's just beautiful. Like the Gatsby yes. Peninsula, uh, the St. Lawrence, like, you know, all these areas are gorgeous to look at. And that mm -hmm. area is gorgeous to look at. The bridge has like a certain aesthetic to it. And we were shooting right into the sun a lot of the time. So that added a lot of the visual elements to it. And again, we, we deliberately knew we were going to be lighting by fire and we were using the, uh, man, what were we using? I can't remember the name of the camera off the top of my head, but we were able to shoot with, you know, with flames and fire. Right. Whereas, you know, once upon a time, that wouldn't have been the case. Like when they shot Barry Lyndon, Lassa mm -hmm. had to make the guy, a, you know, had to make Kubrick a, a lens just to shoot by camera light where, or where we, we were able to do it because, you know, the steps we made since then. And, you know, we would just, we just knew what we were doing to put it bluntly. We knew what we were doing. We knew each other and we were able to execute just by virtue of experience because we all worked together on the first feature and we had done like three, four shorts before that, mm -hmm. like the whole crew, me, the DOP, the production, uh, the producers, uh, had a new production designer but the costumes were the same from rhymes, like all that was pretty much the same. So we all knew what we were in for. And it, it, you know, these guys have a lot of experience because a lot of big crews, a lot of big productions come here, like X-Men and, yeah. and, and things like that, because they can lean into the industry here. Mm -hmm. And again, like I said, this is a place that traditionally produces gorgeous movies yeah. because the French, the French, take their film seriously which isn't to say like you know the rest of canada doesn't but i feel like there's more of a, a, a you know there's more of a there's more attention to detail to the mise-en-scene and the aesthetic here in quebec than i think you see anywhere else i think the only person that i've actually seen subvert that idea is probably mandy where you look at mandy and you know you wouldn't look at it as canadian film but oh that was yeah, it was like the, the aesthetic out of Vancouver that's completely new. Like I've never seen anything like that out of Vancouver before. So you're starting to see like, you're starting to see really gorgeous films come out. And we, you know, we've done what we've always been doing. And that's like put aesthetic first. You know, you want to put the meaning in the writing, but when you're out there on film, you want to execute as technicians and you pay attention to performances and, you know, things like that. But I direct from the screen. I direct from the monitor. I'm not one of those people that needs to be on set and see how people play out. I look at it from the monitor, which I found to be kind of shock for some people. Like they don't typically see, like I've heard that before where it's like, I've never seen a, a director not move from the monitor before. And I'm somebody that will stay off screen and like right. move people by inches. You know what I mean? Right. You move an inch to your left or an inch to your right, you know, that kind of stuff. Right. And you, know, you drive people nuts, but the you can do all that but the the back end is you get like one or two takes that's it yeah. so you'd spend all this time setting up like you know the smoke in there isn't cgi like the, the the aesthetic or the production design isn't you know enhanced anyway so you want to see everything on screen as much as you can before you get the color and those guys too we've been working with the same colorist forever and we, we just have a good crew that really know what they're doing right. and don't mind doing it for a nominal amount if they think the work is worth it. it I, got lucky, 
I'm, I'm lucky. I'm blessed with a, with, a, with a great crew, great cast that probably make me look like a better filmmaker than I actually am. <laughs> it, it certainly, like I said, it felt indie, but in no way did it look cheap, rushed, or hurry. It felt planned out and stuff. With all those things. <laughs> I, uh, I want to ask, very... uh, what, uh, what got you into horror? Like, I'm just, I'm curious to know, like, what's your favorite horror movie? What got you wanting to well, do Well, my favorite horror like movie is exactly what you would think. It's, it's a racer head. It's like the, the it's, it's more aesthetic than it is meaning. But I think, like, when you look at it, it's uh, horrific in ways that your brain doesn't really, you know, everybody will say The Exorcist because it's scary or, you know, something that's scary. But for me, that was like a, it was a disturbing film. It wasn't something that I could watch. Like, the first time I saw it was at a midnight matinee here at a repertory theater in Montreal. And they were using, like, an old an old print that completely added to the aesthetic of the film because everything was dirty. And you can hear, like, the crackle on the uh, optical, like, mm -hmm. soundtrack. And everything was just kind of, you know, it added to the whole weirdness of it. And, uh, like, after watching it, I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep. <laughs> so that, for me, is my favorite horror film. And... I kind of drift towards uh, uh, cyberpunk too, because oh, yeah. you talk about cyberpunk, both literary and, and cinema, they kind of put style first. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm about. I'm like a, I'm a world builder. I like building alternate universes where you're dropped into it and the aesthetic is part of the whole story. So I kind I of drew, I like you like that. And like uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula is another one that I really like because if you look at it, there's no CGI in there at all. They're doing right. all that through like optical effects and like stuff, same thing they used, you know, do stuff like Metropolis. Mm -hmm. So I'm really into the art of filmmaking and the aesthetic that you can apply from specifically those tools, like building those worlds. I'm not a big CGI guy. I'm not. I'm not a fan of that. Like I've never had to lean into it too hard. But um, I'm trying to think of any other. Like Dawn of the Dead's another one. Yeah. But it's it's kind of almost like an anti aesthetic when Savini kind of like let's let's make the blood really cartoony, and he he uh, end up directing Night of the Living Dead later on too, mm -hmm. which was a little bit more of a you know a, a serious right zombie film where a lot of the blood and gore in there was a little bit more realistic so i think having older brothers that were completely inappropriate and showing me things like evil dead and you know <laughs> <laughs> they did way before i should have been watching them I think hey man it, it it's what we do we big brothers i mean that it, if, <laughs> if we're a good big brother then that's that's exactly what we do i got my little brother he was like six years old made him a big old plate of spaghetti dawn of the dead there you go kid Enjoy it. <laughs> just subjected my son to uh, to uh, Big Trouble in Little China last night for the first time. Yes! How'd he love it? I know he loved it, but how much did he love it? He did. He was still talking about it this morning, and he's been making kung fu sounds all day, all night. <laughs> so it's like, it's, it's, uh, I think it runs in a family. <laughs> well, have, uh, have you got plans for, I mean, I'm sure you've got things rattling around in here. We all do. But I mean, have you got anything coming up in the near future on the horizon that you're working on? Or I'm pitching television shows. There's serious talk in turning Blood Quantum into a television show. That and, would make a good hell yeah. Yeah, and uh, I'm currently working on a, a cosmic horror piece that I'm nope. really excited about. Oh, oh, really okay. Kind of, uh, 
my introduction to that world was always like it wasn't wasn't Lovecraft. It was Howard. It was Robert E. Howard. So I was looking at it yes. to, the, to the to the view of uh, Conan. Yes. And Conan was never like you know he was never <laughs> he was never like oh we're all gonna die. He was more like you know if it bleeds it can die. I'm gonna so, rip my clothes off, get a big warhammer, and go kill it. That's yes, sir. So you, ooh. I was talking oh. about this on Twitter too, and it was like. Uh, I always thought Conan was native because of the way they drew him. He was always dark skinned and like black hair. And uh, he liked to drink and he was always chasing women. He was always getting in fights. He was always stealing. And he was like, kind of reminded <laughs> me of the uncles that I grew up around. So <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of doing a cosmic horror thing in that vein, sort of, a little bit more adventure. And uh, like with barbarians? No, no, no. It's actually. Uh, it's actually another kind of, you know, where time is fluid. It starts in 1919 at the, at the height of uh, the, the Spanish flu. And then we jump forward like a hundred and some years. So it's actually a science fiction movie taking place during the great conjunction of 2060. So oh, hell yeah. after, after what we're currently going through right now, I think, is kind of an examination of the aftermath of what we're going through right now. And like every speculative science fiction, you're really making comments on the present day and where we think we're going to end up going. So I think that's, that's really the thing that's gotten me excited right now. The idea of doing blood quantum is a TV show and I'm writing another TV show that we're going to pitch to a couple of big streamers. That's a little bit more drifting into uh, probably true detective territory the first season of true detective which is nice. another really an examination of cosmic horror too having just watched it again in the cosmic horror state of mind was like wow this is this is cosmic horror this is like it's it's an amalgam it's like lard baron right it's like an amalgam of of cosmic horror and detective uh fiction if it so, yeah if they'd have just shown me a little tentacle somewhere just to the side it would be the greatest tv show ever they just <laughs> I, I know it is. I'm just, I'm shallow like that. All I can hear is Jurgen Prano, you know, all those horrible slimy things in the dark, but yeah, true detective. I was in it to win it the whole time. And yeah, if they did just one scene, just a little tentacle, just, and then it slides out of focus or something. I would have been like, this is the coolest show. <laughs> Wasn't it set in your neck of the woods too? Uh, from what I remember, it's been several years since I've watched it. I think so. Was it like Alabama? Watch it again, man, because I, I haven't watched it again for a while either. And I just started watching it on a whim the other day. And holy Christ. You forget I think it. I might too. I might do that now that you've brought it up. I, I need to refresh it because I remember it had all the, it had all the little one-liners that it was supposed to mention. It had all the little Easter eggs. Like I said, everything was there except the tentacle. If it had shown yeah. me that. I would have been like the because this is sort of the same argument, not really an argument, but I saw a debate and I can't really disprove it that uh, Chernobyl, if you look at it, it's technically a cosmic horror film because you can't see the enemy. It's this unseen energy that's there from a time that no one knows where it came from. No one knows where it's going and human life is disposable and insignificant throughout the whole show. And it's just yeah. like, wow, <laughs> it kind of is. <laughs> That's creepy. A stretch for me, but yeah, I could see that. It's it's one of those. Yeah, when I read it, I was like, eh, it is. Oh, okay. I mean, if you put it like that, I guess it is. But well, look, man, I will let you go. But sell me something. Where can people go to see Blood Quantum? Where can they go to buy some shit? Something that you've got? 
it's so weird because because of the virus the like the distribution got screwed up so it was like it was on shutter and now it's not and it's on vod now but i don't know like i know it's being released on dvd september 1st it's already on vod as far as i know okay like well i mean put it to you this way if you want to see it it'll be on any platform that you typically read you know if you're watching stuff on your playstation or if you're watching stuff on apple tv or whatever it'll be on okay yeah so go watch but like seriously kids those of y'all playing along at home you need to watch this flick like i said good zombie flicks are tough to come by this is a good one it's fun it's compact it's not long-winded gets in says what it says does what it does people die things explode and then it gets out wham bam done it's great (laughs) jeff Man, it's been a pleasure, dude. I like I I really appreciate you coming on and talking with me about it. I appreciate the screener. And I mean, you said you said some buzzwords like if this were Pee-Wee's Playhouse, you'd be like, ah <laughs> because you said cosmic horror. So I'm I'm all in it. You're more than welcome. If you get something coming up, just remember us. Give us a holler. Let us know. You're more than welcome to come back on, talk about it. Just I would love to. Anything you anytime you want to talk about it or just Hell, just chat movies or whatever in general, man. I am always down for that. All right, man? Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for taking the time.